Well, I made a promise that I'd start at 7 and end at 8, and so it's 7.01, so I'm, I only have 59 minutes now. So, um, I'm, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do tonight, and I hope it's okay. Uh, I've brought, um, this is my 12-part binder on things I've written on Roots. I brought that with me. And I also brought my personal journal, and I also brought my computer, and I also brought my phone. So you guys are really in for it, all right? <laughs> and, uh, and if it's okay, since this was supposed to be a small group setting, uh, I didn't really want it to be like preaching a sermon um, that sometimes can be... Um, I, I think I'd do better, and I hope you'll be all right with it, if I could just kind of ramble a little bit. Is that okay, everybody? Uh, if that's not good, we'll change it next Monday, all right? And uh, so, uh, in other words, all my points aren't going to tie real pretty together, you know, with the same letter and all that kind of stuff, but uh, I'm just going to share some things. Some of them will be random. Uh, I will admit that to you ahead of time. Um, I want to pray, and first of all, I just want to, I'm just very grateful that you'd come out out tonight, and uh, I know many of you don't know me or my story, but uh, I trust God has something really unique for us. So um, I'm just going to share. I'm going to just ramble a little bit. So let's dive into it. Father, we love you, and we are nothing without you. And God, these are not my words, uh, but they're my story. And uh, I'm grateful for the story you've given me, God, and for the victories you've brought me to. And I pray that the wrestlings and the struggles that I've had, that I could share them in a way that may prevent some and may bring some victories to some others. Because I think that's the way, Lord, that you take what the enemy meant for bad and you turn it around and make it good. And so I just pray for your grace tonight, your wisdom. Help me. My heart is full, so help me by your Holy Spirit to know what to share and what not to share for tonight. And uh, we give you all the praise. We want to walk in total victory and freedom. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, um, welcome to maybe some of yours for a small group. <laughs> Somebody just said, I'm glad we didn't do this at the Family Center. Uh, I just, I, I really do. I just really want to say this. And I know I, I don't want to invade too much of our time. But my wife and I, we feel overwhelmed by uh, the love of Coastline and the support of us. And we just feel like this is our church. And so we, we just uh, appreciate And some have tried to talk us into staying here. And uh, that's, not, that's not a hard sell, you know, but um, we'll share later uh, some of the things God's putting on our heart, but I don't want to waste time on that right now. Let me share a couple of things. Somebody, I had uh, multiple people ask me yesterday uh, during, you know, in between services, they, they, they said, hey, I went through this course and I read this book, and I went through this counseling session. Have you ever gone through that? And did you go through this? And where did you get your material? And, and many times I do get my material from, you know, uh, authors and other pastors and, and um, you know, just all that kind of study tools that we as pastors have. Uh, but what I'm sharing with you in this series called Roots, um, it's really my life story. And... Um, I, I just to kind of give you a little background. I never started studying the Bible uh, so that I could preach. I didn't. I didn't dive into the Bible so that I could show up on a Sunday morning and say, "Ooh, look what I know." I I started studying the Bible as a young kid because I was drowning and I was dying and I was confused and I was hurting, and I found that the Word of God gave life. And so it was very interesting. God called me to preach, and I started preaching when I was 19. I've never been to Bible college, and nobody ever taught me how to preach. The first sermon I ever preached was absolutely horrible, and the preacher sat on the front row. I got done in 10 minutes. (laughs) I was so nervous. I had little cotton balls flying out of my mouth. I was so, you know, and... And, and so I did what most good preachers do. I figured out a way in my mind to re-preach the first 10 minutes with different, in a different way. 
And then so he said, you know, that wasn't good, so why don't you preach again next Sunday night? And the next Sunday night, I went way too long, and uh, I've been going too long ever since, you know. <laughs> and so, and, and, but, but really, honestly, um, the way that I learned how to preach, I don't know if it's right or not, but, but the way I learned how to preach, and, and I mean this, I, I started by preaching to myself. I really did. Um, I started studying scripture and saying, I need help. I, I, I've, I have a childhood that was very wounded, and I need help, God. And, and God just began to make his word very real to me. And so this is my life story. I, I joke all the time that I will never run out of sermon material. I've been preaching for 29 years. I will never run out of sermon material because I have so many issues. <laughs> and uh, so I hope they help you today. Uh, I'm going to try to do something. This was a very last-minute idea. Again, I told you I'm just going to shotgun a few things. And I know this might be difficult to see, but I'll leave it up here. It's the only time I'm going to use the whiteboard because I know I was kind of thinking everybody would be right in the middle, but that's not happening. Um, somebody just gave me this illustration, so this is not real. With, uh, this is not original with me, but uh, I want to share it because I think it gives a good, vis- uh, good visual. Um, and I want to write the word. I know everybody won't be able to see this, but I'll leave it and I'll try to write it as big as I can. Uh, this is the word love. Can you see that? Can you guys over there kind of see it? All right. And, and so over here, I'm going to put the word trust. Matter of fact, uh, Pastor Jared uh, just kind of gave me uh, part of this illustration. And uh, that's the word violation. I'm, I'm, okay. Now, when love is violated or when trust is violated... Now, I'm going to need some interaction here. How many in your life do you feel like that love has ever been violated in your life? Let me just see. Okay. I think this is going to be helpful. How many of you say, man, I trusted somebody and that was violated? Anybody here? Look at everybody. Everybody raise their hands. Um, And so when love is violated or when trust is violated, when love is violated, here are the tendencies. We either go into shame or we go into blame. And the byproduct of those can be depression. Here's why. All, unres- all um, anger and depression most of the time stem, unless it's a clinical issue like a chemical imbalance, um, but most of them come from unresolved hurts in our life. And so when we have hurts in our life, what happens is either we explode to protect or we withdraw to protect. Okay, and I'm sure this isn't totally new. And and over here, if trust is violated, then here's what happens over here. We either control. Do you know anybody that's ever had control issues? (laughs) I mean, I know it's none of you guys, but uh, or or we escape. Okay, and and we can escape through a lot of avenues, right? I mean, you can escape through drug abuse. I mean, there's a lot of escape, right? And so when trust is violated, um, if, if I don't trust my parents, then I grow up trying to control my world because I'm a, I don't trust anybody, so I want to take all control. Or I escape, okay? Does that make sense? And most of the time, one of the byproducts of this side is anger. All of which come from uh, violated love, violated trust. And when love or trust is violated, then what happens is there's a wound in our life. Right, everybody? And uh, let me throw one more thing at you. It's very interesting that in the Garden of Eden, and, and I know that a lot of you have been through life, and, and I do want to say that in this series on these Monday nights, I'm going to do a lot of presenting the problem and, and not as much of solving the problem because I really want to steer you into a life group. Because for 12 weeks then, you, you will, um, you'll have the opportunity to just begin to dial in and peel back the layers. And so one of my things I'm trying to do, I can't solve it all. I love what John Hovis said to me. He said, until Jesus comes to get us, we're always going to have roots. And God loves us in the process of it. But in the process, isn't it, the Christian journey becomes fun when we can pull out those things. In other words, what he was really saying is that we're never going to have it all together. I mean, I'm writing the series that I've preached many times and recognize, oh, I still got some roots in me. I'm mad because painters are coming in the house I'm living in, you know, that kind of thing. And so, 
It's very interesting that in the Bible, uh, you know, Adam and Eve, and, um, and, and, and so Eve, you know, she was tempted. I, I'm just going to throw this real quick. In, in, in the Greek language, there's masculine forms of words and feminine forms of words, okay? And it's very interesting that the word spirit, uh, uh, spirit is a masculine word, and the word soul is a feminine word. And the devil is up to the very same tricks. He's going to try to tempt He's going to try to cause us to fall through our soul. What is our soul? Our soul is interchangeably used uh, when the Bible says, love the Lord your God with all your body, all your mind, and all your spirit or heart. Well, the word mind is translated soul because that's where our thought processes are. Okay, does that make sense, everybody? So our soul is what creates like our appetites. How many know you have some good appetites? How many know you got some bad appetites? <laughs> let me just ask a real simple question. I know I'm being random here for a minute, but um, let me ask a question. Uh, how many of you like ice cream? Okay, I'm just going to ask a question. How do you know you like ice cream? What? We tasted it one time. Your soul has the same appetite. If we indulge in something, it creates an appetite that our flesh may like. Does that make sense? See, some people got saved at a very early age, and they don't understand all these appetites, and they can't understand why somebody has an addiction or a habit. But, but praise God, you got saved sooner, but some of us took a long time before we got saved, and we tasted a lot of ice cream. Mm-hmm. And now we're saved, and we're on our way to heaven, but man, I sure would like to have a chocolate sundae sometimes, <laughs> right? And so the appetite is still real right? And so it's the soul. The soul is our mind, the way we process thought, our character traits, our attributes, our moods. How many know we got some moods, right? Okay, that's all our soul. It's our appetites, those kind of things. So that's just kind of random extra stuff. I don't know why. Maybe it was my own icebreaker. Okay, so um, let me take you to a place in Scripture that I, I'm not going to really uh, do the teaching on the verse, but I want to kind of use it as a backdrop to talk about. And, and we don't have any PowerPoint tonight. This was just um, my little idea of having a small group. And, uh, and so we don't have PowerPoint. So I'm going to give you some Scripture. Hopefully you can write them down. We are recording this, and it will be on the church's webpage. So 2 Kings chapter number 4. And I'm going to read to you verses number 38 through 41. Elisha returned to Gilgal, and there was a famine in that region. Spiritually speaking, how many of you would agree that there perhaps is a famine in our nation today? Would you? Okay. While the company of the prophets was meeting with him, he said to his servant, put on a large pot and cook some stew for these prophets. When there's a famine in the land, when there's a spiritual famine in the land... People are hungry and they're looking for nourishment. We are living in a time right now where people are looking for what's going on right here. And so one of them went out into the fields and gathered herbs, watch this, and found a wild root and picked as many of its gourds as his garment could hold. When he returned, he cut them up into the stew, though no one knew what they were. The stew was poured out for the men, but as they began to eat it, they cried out, Man of God, there is death in the pot, and they could not eat it. And then, of course, the story goes on. But let me just use it as a backdrop. It was the wild root that made them sick. It was the wild root that caused death. And it's the wild, bad root in my life that causes me to be sick spiritually and can ultimately, if I don't begin to take charge of that, can cause death in my life. Um, Just some reference from yesterday, Matthew 17, you can jot that down if you weren't here, and then also Luke 17 and the mulberry tree. The mulberry tree, if you weren't here, Jesus said if you speak to the mulberry tree, it'll be uprooted. One of the things we identified that is worth repeating is that the mulberry roots, when they grow down, They look for the roots of other trees to intertwine themselves with. And when they do that, I I had a guy here that was uh, owned a nursery or something yesterday, and he was just confirming again uh, that when the mulberry tree grows down, it steals the nourishment from another tree to, to accentuate its fruit. 
thus robbing from the other tree, and it doesn't produce fruit. And how many times in our lives have the bad roots and the bad seeds strangled out the destinies and the plans and the purposes that God has for us? I don't know about you, but if I'm going to live for God, I want to live to the fullest potential possible. I want to have the fruit of the Spirit active in my life. And I'll be the first one to tell you before you get to my wife and she tells you that they're not always operating in my life. There's times that they get strangled out. Can anybody relate to that at all? Just so I know. Okay. Because, I mean, I get, I get real nervous when I talk to perfect people. So every once in a while, like, <laughs> please raise your hand. Because I, I start, like, going into hives and stuff like, oh, I'm in the wrong place, you know, kind of thing. And so a root, then, is the cause or the origin. A little bit di- different definitions than I gave you yesterday just to cause you to continue to process. A root is a cause or an origin. And roots come from seeds. They're good or bad, we identified yesterday. And a seed is the birth or the beginning of something. Now let's dive into a couple thoughts. The soil of our soul is most tender and pliable when? Anybody? When we're young. When we're children. Right? The formative years of a child. Isn't it interesting that if we passed a microphone around this room today that the majority, not all, but the majority of people would say, the reason I have hurts and violated love and violated trust, almost every story would begin with, when I was a kid. Raise your hand if that's your story. When I was a kid, yeah, such and such happened. And it would be a horrible story. When I was a child, my dad. When I was a child, my uncle. When I was a child, my parents. When I was a child. And, and the story would go something like that. Because the enemy loves to plant bad seed in the tender soil of a child. And he waits. And he waits. And he will fertilize it through the accidents and the incidents and the disappointments and the pains of life. He will take every opportunity he can just to fertilize it. Not to manifest it, Right? He he has a different timing for the manifesting of the fruit. But he will fertilize it, and he will fertilize it, and he will fertilize it. How many of you have figured out that, that he is so strategic that manifesting that fruit, if you would, or you seeing that fruit happen, comes at the worst possible time? When my wife and I got married, she broke up with me when uh, we were engaged. She had, like, temporary insanity or something, but... Uh, <laughs> And she broke, she broke up with me. I'm so glad she doesn't preach because I'd really get it. But um, she broke up with me because she had witnessed some things in my family origin that was very disturbing to her. And so, um, and, and she wasn't sure if she could handle all that. And, and so I gave her this great, just super cool, romantic speech about, babe, when me and you get married, it is just going to be me and you. It's not about mama. It's not about daddy. It's not about all of that. How many know I lied? Uh, Now, I believed it at the time, and we both did because we were too young to know better. But when we walked down the aisle to get married, man, we were carrying all kind of baggage, right? We were carrying all kind of issues with us because the enemy will fertilize and fertilize and fertilize. I never knew that I had an anger issue until I got married. I wonder why the devil does that. We're going to talk about that tonight a little bit. And, and see, what happens is he just keeps throwing seeds in the pot of the soul as a child, most of the time as a child, and, and that tends to get us entangled. It, it, it makes the roots entangled. Now, here was what was interesting about me. I gave my life to the Lord when I was somewhere around six years old. A, a, a church bus came by. My, I lived in inner city Oakland, California, and a church bus came by and asked me if I wanted to go to church. My dad was gone. My mom was a barmaid. She was going to sleep till 2, 3 in the afternoon anyway. I was bored, so I went to church. Gave my life to the Lord. I'll share more of that on the generational roots. Um, And so I'm serving God as a kid the best I know how, reading the Bible on my own, having people read me the Bible and teach me the Bible. But at the same time, I'm in an environment where there's a lot of hurt, there's a lot of disappointment, there's things going on in my life. And so in my life, both roots are growing at the same time. And they're like mulberry trees, and they get entangled. Now I want to show you something. When they get entangled, here's what happens. James tells us this, that we are all pulled away by our own evil desires. 
So, so, you guys get that? How many know there are certain things that might pull me or, or try to pull me away that don't pull you away? There's recovering alcoholics here that, man, I can't even drive by a bar. But I can walk into a bar and it's no problem. You you understand what I'm saying? So James says we're all pulled away by our own, our own evil desires. Well, the real Greek word there for evil is the word um, wicked, our own wicked desires. The word wicked is where we get the word wicker. (laughs) Remember the mulberry tree? how they're entwined together. Anybody here have, I know we're in Southern California, anybody have some wicker furniture, right? It, and, and how strong it is because it's woven together. So we're all pulled away by our own wicked, wicker desires. We're all, because our soul, man, our love, our trust has been violated and it creates all this mess inside of the way we think and the way we process. Some of us have a hard time processing what genuine love is, what genuine trust is, because it's all tangled up. And the people that God put in my life that I was supposed to be able to trust, now I don't trust, so I don't have a foundation for trust. And the people that were supposed to love me didn't love me and I don't have a foundation and it's all confused. Friday night I'm going to speak to the men about what happens when the person that is supposed to help you drops you in life. Mm -hmm. Anybody ever heard of the guy by the name of Mephibosheth? Yeah, he's dropped by the person that was supposed to help him. Many of us understand what that is. And so, um, and, and, and Paul goes on and he says, don't be entangled by the affairs of this world. And, and so that temptation, that thing that causes you, how, how many know you have a particular area that, that just is like your weakness? It's that area that, man, i got to constantly watch out for. Anybody? You know, your strength is to know what that area is. Now, yesterday I said it's not enough to control it, but you need to be controlling it until you get it rooted out. Okay, so, you know, I kind of made fun of myself for not playing on the softball teams because I was controlling it. Well, that was a good move, but that isn't the only move. You see what I'm saying? So there's certain, even to this day, there's certain things I can't see on TV. If I see certain things on TV of, of a child being mistreated, man, I just, all of a sudden, my insides get a little wigged out. Can anybody relate to that? Any? I love Jesus, and Jesus lives in here. I'm going to talk about this in a few weeks. Jesus is in my heart, but granddaddy's in my bones. How <laughs> I many you know what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> okay, we'll talk about that another time. All right, so let's talk about... Uh, let, I want to specifically talk about the bad seeds tonight, because yesterday we talked about that bad roots start with bad seeds. So let's just begin by identifying the bad seeds and what they are, and and knowing them is half the battle. Now, I'm just going to give you a little bit of a warning. When you leave here tonight, you will find yourself really starting to do some backwards thinking a little bit, like looking back and saying, okay, let make sure when that happens, you invite the Holy Spirit into that moment. Because I even struggled with it this afternoon. I started feeling heaviness because for me, these things are still wounds and they can get heavy on me. And that's okay as long as the Holy Spirit can be a part of that journey with me, right? There's a time to grieve. And there's a time to rejoice. Is it, is it, is it, okay. All right. So let's talk about the bad seeds. And I hope this isn't redundant, but l- let's just talk about them. N- number one, and these are in no order. I'm just going to, and this isn't exhaustive. I'm just kind of giving you some to think about. Uh, I think some of the bad seeds are, number one, the hurts of life. Again, I like interaction. Anybody ever had like some pretty devastating hurts? I'm not talking about stubbing your toe. I'm talking about like some pretty major, whoa, train wrecks in life, pain in life. Now watch this. Remember we talked about that um, the soul is how we think. This is our mind, okay? Strongholds happen in the mind, right? It's, it's remember, because it's a wrong way of thinking or a wrong way of processing something. So often when a pain or a hurt or a disappointment happens in our lives, we build fortresses or strongholds in our lives to try to protect that area of our life. I began to have anger issues not realizing I was trying to protect certain areas of my life. 
I was trying to protect. I didn't know what to do. So the, the best thing I knew how to do was explode so everybody would just leave me alone kind of thing. Okay? And so it's kind of like we become like Jericho. Anybody remember reading the story of Jericho? The walls of Jericho were tightly shut up. I think that's Joshua chapter number 6 verse 1. And it says this. Watch. It says, no one came in and no one went out. Do you know my emotions were like that for years? My emotions were just like the walls of Jericho. I wouldn't let anybody in. Oh, I let them in about that far. But nobody really knew the real Ken Hubbard. And I didn't go out. Does that make sense to anybody? And so, um, and, and so when I have hurt at home and when I have hurt with people, the fruit then can be, okay, so this is the seed. Let's just take an experiment or, or just a, a variety of what some of the fruit can look like. When I have hurt at home and disappointment at home and disappointment with people I trust, then what happens, and I'm just going to spitfire some of them, some of the fruit that comes out of that can be things like perfectionism. Because you always got criticized and nothing was ever good enough. Now you're paralyzed because you can't. It has to be perfect. You you get it? Okay, so perfectionism, workaholism. I know some of the most successful, Patty and I have some amazing friends that are multi, multi, multi-millionaires, very successful, multi-companies, all that kind of stuff, and they're driven by insecurities and fears of failure. And so... We want them to continue to be successful. That's good fruit. God has, in a certain way, anointed them to be those kings. But we don't want it to come from a bad root. See? And they're, they're just growing together kind of thing. And so workaholism. And, and some of them are obvious. People joining gangs. Uh, uh, promiscuity uh, amongst young people, pain, anger, explosions, uh, or, or depression. Uh, Anger is explosion. How many know if there's an explosion, it can hurt the people that are the closest to the explosion, right? But then there's also just as dangerous but doesn't get as much attention is depression, which is implosion. See, I'm not going to share my attitude because when I did when I was a kid, I was told to shut up and sit down. And your opinion doesn't matter, right? See, I see people nodding, and I think that's because you're saying, yep, I've been there, okay? And so I've often wondered kind of what happened, what childhood pains affected people like Adolf Hitler? He didn't just, I I mean, I know we're all born sinners, right? I, I understand that. We all have the nature of sin in us. But there was something that fertilized those events, those things in his life. Uh, and, and so I often wonder, and I know it sounds cliche, but when we watch news and we see terrible things happening and bad things that people do and, and they hurt other people, it's always the case that hurting people hurt people and there's a whole lot of hurting people out there because it's what they know. It's, it's, it's how they know. Um, and uh, so, um, uh, let's see, I better move on here. Um, Psychiatrists say this when it comes to the subject of hurt. Um, Psychiatrists say that memory lies in every cell of our body. Every cell of our body. Think about that for a moment. That means we can can smell a certain scent that will trigger us to a moment. Right? It's so funny. Uh, As a little kid, I, I lived for a summer in Washington, which is where I was born, but never really lived there. And um, we moved back there for four years to pastor for a season. And the first time we were there, and it rained. And if you've ever been in Washington, there's just this smell of the cedar trees. And, I mean, it took me right back to a moment where I was hiding in the woods. Right, I mean, right now. I was 40-something years old. And all of a sudden, I felt like I was that seven-year-old kid hiding. Smell. Can anybody relate to that? Um, sound. <laughs> You know, certain sounds, the, the way, I, I won't do a, a certain visuals, certain songs. Anybody have, like a song that triggers something that, man, I don't want to hear that song again, you know. Uh, uh, a, certain, a certain house. Uh, my uncle and I drove to a house that we lived in together as kids and experienced some things. And, and we stood there now both serving God at the driveway of that house. This happened about six years ago. And we talked about those things, got them out in the open, and said, isn't it amazing that God would bring us through that? And, and it was amazing how vivid the memories could be all of a sudden just standing looking at that house. Um, 
Uh, how many, I don't know about you, but for me, maybe I'm weird, but uh, like I, I, even certain TV commercials can be like, oh, I don't, I don't like that commercial or certain previews or, you know, those kind of things or even certain tastes. Let me give you an example of one. One summer I lived with my uncle who was kind of my hero. I looked up to him and he lived in a home with my grandma and step grandpa. And my step grandpa was known, he was a lumberjack, a drunk, extremely violent, very crude, very rude individual uh, who had, uh, had abused my mother. But for whatever reason I won't get into, uh, I was dropped off there to live one summer with my uncle. And a and, and number of things happened that I won't get into, but this one thing, um, we ha- after dinner, we had, uh, what do you call it when you throw food out in the yard in a s- compost, a compost. Anybody know what that is? <laughs> okay, I guess I don't. But it, it's where you throw the scraps, you know, before garbage disposals, all right, everybody? All right. And so we go out there and throw the stuff in the compost. And so me and my uncle, that was our job. We cleaned up the table, ran out there and threw some stuff in the compost. Well, for dinner that night, my grandma had made these little bite-sized beets, and, and, and they were the red kind in the sauce and all that kind of stuff. And, and so we were just typical boys. I was like seven years old. He's six years older than me. And I took one of the beets when we were down at the compost pile, and I threw it at my uncle. And he had a white T-shirt on, and it hit him like right here. And it was like, I, I think we invented paintball because it was like, and I just thought, I'm a kid, I'm a boy. I'm like, that is the coolest thing ever. I just shot him, he just exploded with blood. It was beet juice, you know? And he said, oh yeah, like a typical guy, I'm not. And so we started slinging beets at each other. And we had red marks all over. We were having the time of our life. And I don't mean to be a wet blanket on this, but um, my step-grandpa, for whatever reason, didn't like that. And I won't get into gruesome details, but I remember him coming out and grabbing my uncle and pulling him into his room and whipping him in such a way that to this day, I can still hear him screaming. And I remember that was the day that I was hiding in the woods. And do you know that I'm almost 50 years old and my wife loves beets? And every time I see a beet to this day, I cannot help but that story goes through my mind. Right? Now, sometimes you've got to make friends with those memories, but they're there. They're there. Uh, let, me, let, me, let me move on. Number two, I think another one of the bad seeds that fall in the soil of a heart is abandonments. And uh, we are living in a fatherless generation. We really are. And so there's a lot of abandonments. And uh, some of the things I've talked about here in the past, what's bad about that is that God has designed the family. And if there's a part of that family missing. And by the way, if you are in a broken home, God can redeem it. Because I can tell you all the broken home stories you ever want to hear that happened to me, and God has redeemed it. All right? So so don't let my story like fall like a wet blanket on you because you and God are always a majority. Right, everybody? Okay? Single mamas, God will help you. All of those stories. I want you to understand that. I want to qualify that. But, but, like, but dad was missing, and so dads are where we get our identity. That's why we wear our dad's name. My name is Ken Hubbard. My dad's name is Ken Hubbard. His dad's name is Dwayne Hubbard. My middle name is Dwayne. So, so, so we get our, that's there because it's symbolic of that's where we get our identity. When dads are missing, we don't know our identity. We don't really understand who we are. I spent many years looking confident on the outside, but internally I didn't know who I was. I didn't, I didn't have an identity. I've talked about this in the past, and our identity is the doorway to our destiny. I will never walk into my destiny. Remember, destiny is one of the good seeds that God put in our heart. I will never find my real destiny if I don't understand who I am, who God created me to be. And it's my earthly father's job to help me understand who I am, what I'm good at, what I'm talented at, what I'm blessed at. And without his voice in my life, I wander through life trying to get that support in all kind of different ways. And and I see 
people do it through promiscuity, through one relationship after another, through drugs, through pornography, through success, through money. And none of those things, or some of those things, I should say, are not necessarily bad in them themselves, but when we are trying to find our identity through the things we have and the things we've done and the affairs that we've had and all those kind of things, we're desperately looking, who am I? Somebody tell me who I am. Does that make sense? And, and, and so, and then when mom's not there, and in my situation, uh, uh, well, let me just say this. When mom's not there, then we, we don't know how to love because mom's the nurturer, right? So we don't, we don't know how to love. We, we, we don't know how to give that. Mom is the one, come on, mama's little boy, you know, that kind of thing. Dad says, get up and get on the bike again. Mom's like, you want a Band-Aid? You know, it, it, the, the love and the trust. So we, learn, we really learn our love and our trust, right, from, from that. And these are all reflective. I won't get into it, but, you know, the father figure, that's how we get our God concept. Our mom uh, figure is where we get the, the concept of Jesus and the Holy Spirit in our life. And so we can't even totally understand the Trinity until, unless we really have a good family. And if we don't have a good family, then God has to reveal that to us in different kind of ways. You with me? I'm, I know I'm shotgunning a lot of stuff out there. Our, our, our father's absence can, can form lifelong questions that plague us. Maybe it was something I did. Maybe I wasn't good enough at something. Um... And we bury these painful questions that become seeds that grow into roots. And um, I love this story. I'm going to share it real quick. I've shared it here many times. I was in a counseling office, and my wife and I, I decided just in my life at, at a season that I thought I was doing real good, but I was still, there's something just wasn't right. You know yourself well enough to know, you know, there's just something in there. There's no major addictions. There's no, but there's just something. And so I went to see a counselor. I asked my wife to go with me, and I sat in the chair like this, and right here, my wife sat right here, and the counselor guy, he, he, he said, why are you here? And I said, I don't know. And he went through all this list of typical things that people come for counseling. Well, do you have addictions? Nope. Uh, well, do you... No, how's your marriage? Good. And I just couldn't figure out. And finally he landed on a spot. He said, and I don't remember what questions he asked, but I remember saying, I wake up every morning of my life feeling like I did something wrong. And so I go straight to prayer to get through that feeling. But I want to wake up one morning where I feel like I'm a child of God that I'm the overcomer, that I'm the king that God has called me. I don't want to wake up another morning and feel like I'm a dirty, rotten, no good, got to claw my way up to God. I'm just tired of that feeling. I don't know if any of you can relate to that. He took a picture out of a children's Bible book. What time is it? I'm kind of. He took a picture out of a children's Bible book and he put it down by Patty and I's feet and it was a picture of Jesus being baptized. And, and he said, now, let me remind you, I'm 40-something years old. This, is, this has only been like nine years, eight years ago, okay? And, or, or actually a little less than that. And, and he puts the picture down, and he says, he said, tell me what you see. And I had pastored a great church like I told you and told people that Jesus loved them. People got saved. Uh, just 85% of our church growth was by brand-new converts, so obviously, we're telling people God loves them, Jesus loves them, and has a plan for their life. He puts the picture down by my feet, and he says, tell me about that story. I said, well, that's when Jesus is getting baptized, and I was good enough to even quote the Scripture verse. He said, well, that's really good. You sound like a preacher. And, and he said, well, but really tell me what it says. And I said, well, you know, then I got fancy. I said, well, you know, and I put on my good southern preacher, and I said, that's when Jesus was anointed, but he hadn't been yet appointed. And I went into all this kind of <laughs> stupid stuff. You know, I thought, kind of like a lot of preachers, if you don't have nothing to say, you just get louder and make everything rhyme. And then it's like, Sh-. all right? And so, and so he said, no, Ken, you're missing it. And, and every time I told the story, I started with, this is the scripture verse that says, this is my son who I am well pleased, who, with whom I am well pleased. I said that three times, quoted, quoted the verse, and then he opened his Bible. He said, do you mind if I tell you what it says? I said, sure. And he began to read. And I'd read the verse before. I'd quoted the verse. 
but I left out one key phrase every time I quoted the verse. He said, every time you mentioned that story, you said, this is my son who I am well pleased. He said, but here's what it says. This is my beloved son. And then words hit me for the first time and I began to weep like a little kid sitting in that chair. He made me cry in front of my wife. (laughs) And I wept and I realized for the first time I had been working so hard to get a father to say, attaboy, good job. See, I focused on the well-pleased part because I was good at doing, but I wasn't good at being. I didn't know how to be a son. Wouldn't ask a soul for help. Everything I did, I did it my way. That's the dumbest slogan you can ever live by. And um, and then if only a couple years ago, I was reading that again, because I share it quite often. I was reading it again. And something hit me that had never hit me before. It said, uh, this is my son, my beloved son, who I am well pleased. And all of a sudden it occurred to me, why was God well pleased with him? He hadn't done nothing yet. He hadn't even started his ministry yet. And it's so refreshing to know that in Christ Jesus, God is well pleased with us all. Isn't that liberating? It removes the condemnation. Josh uh, McCauley preached about a few weeks ago here. It just removes that condemnation. Now watch this. I read a little bit further. How many know your Bible that right after he was baptized, that's when he went into the wilderness and was tempted for 40 days, right? Check this out. Go home and read it. Because he leaves that baptism, this is my beloved son who I'm well pleased, and he goes into the wilderness, and immediately the enemy begins to tempt him. And he says, I'm going to paraphrase it just so you get the point, but he says stuff like, if you will uh, turn the stone into bread, if you will, then people will bow and worship you. Do you get what happened? He He just reversed the order. He said, if you'll do a certain thing, you'll be loved. And the devil is still trying to reverse the order. He's still trying to get us to do something so that we'll be loved. But Jesus has already done it all. Come on, everybody, right? Come on, right? Um, Oh, boy, we're running out of time. Let me try to hit a few others. Um, Just jot this one down. I think another way that seeds get planted in our soul is through judgments. Uh, when we judge other people, you know, the Bible's very clear. Matthew 7 says this, Do not judge or you too will be judged. So the same criticism I gave, give to you, I'm planting that in my own spirit. Uh, I, I don't really have the time to go into that one, but uh, just kind of take my word on that one. L- let me tell you something that happened in my life real quick. When I first started in ministry, I was taking over this church. I was only like 21 years old, and this church asked me to be the interim pastor. And I had to go look up what interim even meant. I mean, I had no clue. And the exiting pastor, there was a contingency of people that were upset with him. And I was so young, I didn't know. They thought that he had embezzled money. And, and so, I, because I was starving for support, I joined their bandwagon with no proof. Now, I didn't, I didn't actually accuse him, but I supported them. You, you understand what I mean? And so that's, to me, that's just as guilty. If you don't stand up for somebody, you might as well be one of the ones that's criticizing, right? And so I didn't really make the accusation, but I just like went with the flow because I was so desperate to be accepted. Twenty-something years later, I resigned my church, great church, the church I told you about. It was time for, we just needed something to happen. Eight months later, accusations came back that I had embezzled money. Isn't it amazing? Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured unto you. The same seed you threw at somebody else. If you're not careful, you'll plant it in your... Now, repentance will, will, will heal that. But do you know I had forgot all about that situation? Never repented? Never had the opportunity to repent to that pastor? And 20 years later, that seed took root in my life. And it, it destroyed me. I mean, it just it crushed me. I could not even fathom that anybody would ever say that. 
because there was people that knew better. And uh, Romans 2.1 says this, You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge the other, you are condemning yourself because you will pass judgment, do the same things. Wow. All right. So that one's a quick one. Let me throw another one out to you. Number four is words that people say over us. How many have had people say of influence, people that should be encouraging you and building you up somewhere in your life had bad things said about you? Isn't it amazing how those are the things we remember? They echo, don't they? They just echo. And and I just, I'm almost embarrassed to tell you this, but... I can still hear the tone as though it happened 30 seconds ago. You will never amount to anything. That's what fueled so much of my drivenness. And on the outside, everybody's applauding. Woo, Ken, you're the man, you're the man. Look at all you're doing. But it was all fueled from bad roots. Does that make sense? Um Hurting people hurt people. Um, I'm a movie buff, and this is a very obscure movie. Has anybody ever seen the movie? It was an old Disney movie. Bruce Willis was in it called The Kid. Anybody at all seen that movie? Okay. There's a scene in that movie, I'm telling you. Like three people have seen it, so I shouldn't give the illustration. But (laughs) The eight-year-old Bruce Willis comes back to visit the 30- or 40-year-old Bruce Willis, and he's teaching them life. Wouldn't that be an interesting lesson, huh? I'd like to talk to the eight-year-old me. <laughs> I think I could save the eight-year-old me a few bumps. And, uh, and his mother was dying, and the father grabs the eight-year-old Bruce Willis character and says, you're, you're killing her by the way you're acting. It's those words that haunt us. And, and that, in that movie, it's so powerful because in that movie, that was a turning point in his life that made him on a road of destruction. You're killing her. It's those words that people say over us. That's why when Jesus says, if you're going to pull out the mulberry tree, it all starts with, say to the mulberry tree. You, you, I, I, can't, I, I need a whole series just to talk about our words frame our universe. And, and we're going to have what we say. And if you keep repeating what everybody has told you, Jesus even asked the question, who do people say that I am? Finally, he said, I don't really care what they say. Peter, what do you say? Mm-hmm. See, because there's always going to be they says. And unfortunately for some of us, they came from people that we trusted, moms and dads and teachers and coaches and those kind of things, and they echo. And um, in our house, we never, because of that wound in my life, we just never, 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 never. I don't call my wife my old lady. If you do, I don't condemn you. I'm not throwing stones. But she's not my old lady. (laughs) You know, we just don't. There's no humor whatsoever that has any kind of negative connotation at all. We didn't allow it amongst the sibling. We didn't allow it between our kids. We didn't allow it between parents and kids. We didn't say, oh, these kids. Whew, I can't wait till they go back to school. We never said that kind of stuff. Because those words will stick. They're seeds that will grow, grow, grow root, right, everybody? And, um, and so, um, and, and here's something that's very interesting. I'll, I'll show you another root. <laughs> you guys are going to think I am one messed up dude by the time the series is over. But I was, I was uh, extremely criticized by a very influential woman in my life. And I was also uh, abused by a very influential woman in my life. So you wonder why? Remember I said that the devil will plant seeds in us when we're young, but he won't harvest it until later? You know why? Because he's not just trying to destroy me. He wants to destroy me, my wife, and my kids. And so he lays like a sniper just waiting. Oh, I'm going to throw a little fertilizer, a little fertilizer, a little fertilizer, a little fertilizer. Oh, they're walking down the aisle saying, I do. Oh, they just got out of the hospital with their, their babies. Now, bam. Because I'm trying to destroy everybody and let the generational curse continue and continue and continue. Does that make sense? Sorry, I keep asking if it makes sense. But, uh, uh, and so, but watch this, watch this. So because of those um, situations where there was abuse and criticism from a woman figure in my life, guess who I had a problem with? I get married. You, you want to hear about our first argument? Anybody want to hear about it? 
All the women are like, yeah, <laughs> you bunch of knuckleheads. All right. Uh, how much time we got? Oh, sorry, we're out of time. I don't have time for that story. <laughs> we get home from our honeymoon. Went to Cancun, and I'm like, I'm, I grew up like, we were called trailer trash, okay? I mean, I grew up on the wrong side of the tracks. And so to go to Cancun, I didn't even know there was such a part of the world. I mean, it was amazing. We get home from that. We're married, and we get home like on a Friday. Monday morning rolls around. She has a job. I have a job. And here's the question she asks me. She says, what would you like for dinner tonight, and what time would you like dinner? Come on, man. How many know that's a good question, right? Her And her family... Dad came home every day at the same time with his lunch bell. Mama had dinner on the table, and everybody sat down and ate. So it was like clockwork. She asked me that question, and it was so foreign. I, I, I was so violated in these areas that I, I needed control and escape, and I, needed, I, I was filled with shame, and, and I couldn't even process it. If you've ever struggled with anger and you can't process something, you see every problem as a nail, so all you carry around is a hammer. Can you believe I yelled at my wife for asking me what I wanted for dinner and what time I want dinner? What an idiot. First fight. That's how twisted and messed up and broken. That I was. Wow. And so now the the blessing that God puts in my wife to be my helpmeet, I'm rebuking. Because she's saying, no, you have to turn right, not left. I'll go which way I want to go. Been lost for 30 minutes. I know what I'm doing. <laughs> it's funny now, but let me tell you, it wasn't funny then. Huh? It hurts when you laugh at my injuries like that, I'm telling you. All right. <laughs> But because I had been hurt in that area, I couldn't receive help in that area. Roots. I, I, I think I got five minutes. Can I, can I go with those five more minutes? Let me, let me tell you another seed that gets deposited. This one might hit close for some of you. I think bad seeds get deposited, and some of the bad seeds are false and bad doctrine. Theology. I bet you we could go around this room and say, well, you know, when I was a kid, this thing happened in church, and I said I'd never be in church again. Bad theology. Uh, man, I, I, I'm not going to take the time to really dive into it, but churches have personalities. Stuffy churches give a picture of a formal God, and it produces smug Christians. You ever met a smug Christian? The reason they're smug is because they go to a stuffy church and serve a formal God, a stained glass window God. Or, or, or a legalistic church. Anybody ever been to a legalistic church? Legalistic church, they paint a picture of a mean God. He's up in there waiting to blow your world up because you did something wrong. Legalistic God. You know what kind of Christians legalistic God picture people uh, they build? Mean Christians. Have you ever met a mean Christian? I promise you this. You've never met a mean person until you meet a mean Christian. Because they'll give you scripture reference of why they're being mean. You know what I mean? All right, you get the picture. Um, Let me give you another one that plants seeds and is not offering grace and forgiveness. When you don't forgive somebody else, it doesn't hurt them. It puts you in a prison. You guys already know that. I won't won't spend a lot of time on that. Um, But let me just give you a, a, a verse, Hebrews 12, 15. It says this, See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See to it that none of you miss the opportunity to exercise grace. Because if you do, bitter roots will grow up in you. Wow. So that means when people do us wrong, we have to give grace. Let me tell you something that happened in my life real quick. So when I was 40 years old, I decided to resign my church. And uh, I'll close with that story if you guys remind me. I told you I'd tell you the story of how I almost lost my church, okay? So throw a note up here if I forget. So, and I go to pastor in a city about an hour from my dad. And, um, and, uh, and, and it's the first time that I was really getting to know my dad. And I remember one night we sat... Um, he has a, a shop slash bar right next to his house, motorcycles, bar. And we'd sit at the bar all the time. 
And we'd catch up on lost time. Forty years of not knowing my dad. And uh, I remember one night. Now, this is a guy that was an atheist. Uh, I won't tell too much of a story because we are recording this. And, um, but just a rough, tough, one-percenter, biker gang kind of guy. And uh, we would share and we'd talk. And you know what opened the door the biggest? My dad sat across from me at the bar with tears running down his face. Well, hold on, not tears yet. Saying, son, I'm sorry that I wasn't there for you when you were a kid. But I want you to know I love you and I'm proud of the man you've become. I said, Dad, I want you to know something. I don't hold you accountable for nothing. Because God, what the devil meant for bad, God has made beautiful in my life. And I shared my testimony with him. And my dad, who nobody, none of the other brothers and sisters, I got a bunch of half-brothers, they've never even seen my dad cry. He sat there and just tears pouring down his face. My dad came every Sunday for one year and heard me preach. You know what I believe was the catalyst to that? Me and my dad are like best buddies. Um, You know what the catalyst was? I didn't hold any grudges. I let them totally off the hook. Dad, it's all good. We only know what we only know. All right. Um, I'm going to close with that, all right? Is that good enough? I got a bunch more, but that's that's good. All right. Um, I... uh, so I, I'll tell you the story now. I got three minutes. And you guys were a minute late, so I'm going to go four. Okay, so. <laughs> so um, I'm pastoring this church that I told you about, big church, influential church in our community. And didn't play on the softball teams because I'm controlling anger. We were in a $10 million building program. We were building a new sanctuary in the midst of all those buildings. And... Um, I was, to say the least, stressed out. I didn't have a clue what I was doing. And, and you know, I came from a background where mama put quarters in a mayonnaise jar to pay the rent. That, that's the world I come from, okay? And so now to be all of a sudden in a $10 million building program, I mean, I'm like, this is a whole other world. It seemed like every decision I made about anything was $100,000. And I'm tired, and I'm worn out, and I'm preaching, and I had just authored a couple of books, and it's just, life is crazy. Got two young kids, and I'm holding it all together. And I go into a sub shop with my buddy, who was a pastor on staff, and I sat right here at the very back table of the restaurant with my back against the door, and he was going to sit right there facing me, last booth. And it's one of them places where you order a sandwich, and then they call your number, and you go get your sandwich. So we ordered our sandwich, went and got our seat. He, the, the men's bathroom was right there, and he stepped into the men's bathroom, and I'm sitting at the seat by myself. The lady says, number nine, number five. She looked at me, made eye contact like they were my sandwiches. I grabbed them. I set his at his place, and I began to unwrap mine and was getting ready to take a bite. When up from behind me, all of a sudden, a guy in a business suit said, you took my sandwich. And he picked up my friend's sandwich, unwrapped it, and said, this is what I ordered. And I said, well, you know, the lady called my name, and so I just grabbed it. And he dropped it down real hard and said, enjoy your lunch. Now, I love Jesus. And I've been saved. But there's some parts of me that still ain't saved. Because I got Jesus in my heart, but I got granddaddy in my bones. And I come from a long line of fighters and brawlers. My, my grandpa was a Golden Gloves champion. My dad was just the biggest violent brawler you ever. And I, there's still a little bit of that hiding, running around up in them roots. How many know what I'm talking about? I didn't think about getting mad. I hadn't demonstrated anger in a long, long time. But I had a burst of adrenaline, and I seen red. Anybody ever struggle with anger? You can relate to that moment, right? People that have never struggled with anger, you're like, well, what's the big deal? The guy's just a goofball. Yeah, I know, and I wanted to tell him he was, you know? And I still love Jesus like I was going to kill him and then, like, give him a discount on the funeral. But, you know, I mean, like, 
and I'm not playing, I was like mad. And by the grace of God, I mean, this is all happening in milliseconds, right? By the grace of God, I mean, I seen red, and I already envisioned grabbing him by the throat and pushing him against the wall. I mean, I'm embarrassed to tell you, but that's what happened. And it was going down over a dumb sandwich. Right at that second, my friend walks out of the bathroom, and he can, he like, this is in milliseconds, looks at me like, hey, here I am. And I'm like, oh. And the guy walks out. Now, I wasn't over it. I mean, I was still ready, like, you know, I'm going to go outside, and I'm going to make sure nobody's looking, and, and, you know, that kind of thing, okay? And, uh, you know, I I don't come from Whoville, everybody, okay? (laughs) And and so um, that was what, now, that bothered me. It bothered me not because of the guy. I literally went home that night and wept because I thought, man, I've spent 12 years in this community building a great church. And I could have thrown it all away. Because I still got some bad roots rattling around in me. And I still need Jesus to work on me. And just that quick, the flesh was ready to go. And I learned there was a number of trigger points in that, you know, just the whole, I won't get into all of that. But I can say that was one of the pieces that led me to resigning my church eventually, probably about a year later. Uh, because I realized there was some unfinished work inside of me that taking a journey to take a little church that was closing on its last days, I was going to give up all that because there was still a little boy inside of me said, I want to know my dad. I want to know where I come from. And even if he doesn't love me, I need to close that circle because I'm dying to hear This is my beloved son, whom I'm well pleased. And I gave up all that to get that, and by the grace of God, I got it. Amen, everybody? That's all I got for you tonight. All right. Okay. Hey, everybody, thanks for coming, and uh, appreciate it. I just want to pray God's blessing on you. We're two minutes over, but and I'll let you get going. Father, I'm just overwhelmed at your grace and who sharing some of the, sharing some of these things just remind me of your grace. And uh, Lord, if you did it in my life, you can do it for every person in this room. God, sometimes behind the smiles and the success and the careers and all the stuff, we have no idea what root systems are lying beneath. God, I thank you for the ministries of this church like life. And I pray that every person that needs to would avail themselves to that ministry so that we can begin to discover those hurts and violated love and trust because you have healing for us. And I pray, God, there would be healing in this body of believers. I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. Love you. Thanks.